The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 22, 2023. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day it is here in Sonoma County, and what a wonderful weekend we had. It was just really just the weather was just beautiful, and the flowers are blooming, and oh, it was just amazing. I have a very special guest this morning. Joining me on the phone from Chicago, Illinois, is Michelle Duster, author, educator, and great-granddaughter of activist, educator, feminist, and founder of the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, Ida B. Wells Barnett. We will be in conversation about her great-grandmother and how her actions, vision, and courage are needed in today's world. Uh, I found a very interesting quote uh, by a gentleman by the name, of, a woman by the name of Caitlin Dickerson uh, from the New York Times. She said, uh, Ida B. Wells is considered by historians who have been the most famous black woman in the United States during her lifetime. Amazing, amazing woman. She's one of my heroes. And also she was a journalist, a suffragist, and an anti-lynching crusader. She actually went into the Deep South and uh, reported on the lynching that was going on and, and tried to come up with some rules and regulations and laws to stop it. And what's so amazing about Ida Wells Barnett was besides doing all this and risking her life and so many things, two things that are so important to know about her, I think, is that she was born into slavery and then look what she accomplished in her lifetime. I mean, writing books and articles. She was a journalist. She owned many, many newspapers. And, and what, was, what was so interesting, she was also a mother of four children. I mean, it's just amazing what African-American women have accomplished in this lifetime. And the, the beauty about being uh, doing women's spaces and, and doing research is I begin to find how many contributions many, many ethnic women made in our country that are, are forgotten about. You know, we think we're just one, one be all, anybody who made a contribution was Caucasian. That's not true. And looking at somebody like Ida B. Wells Barnett is just going to be uh, an amazing, and amazing experience for me. I'm really, really excited about this show, to be honest with you, and a little bit nervous because uh, Michelle Duster, I mean, she has won so many awards and just, just an amazing woman, and to be able to bring her, gra her great-grandmother to the forefront is so important in today's world. Well, I have one announcement, and that is Ken and I will be on vacation next week, and what we're going to do is we're going to do a replay. We'll play uh, 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 the National National Organization for Women's President Christine News 
where I did an interview with her, and we're going to rerun that with the uh, interview that she did with uh, with uh, First Lady uh, Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton. So I I look forward to being on vacation, but and I hope you folks enjoy this this show again because uh, it was an amazing amazing interview that uh, uh, Kristen uh, Nunes had with Hillary Clinton. I mean, really impressive and and words that we need to we really need to hear. Well, you know, like I do every single week, you know, I talk about our history is our strength. And, and lately I've been trying to find history that kind of relates to the guests that I have. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, all the different uh, women that have, uh, have made history. And trying to match them up kind of with the guests is going to speak is really, really a challenge for me. And I want to do a shout out to the National Women's History Alliance, uh, Molly Mc, uh, Murphy McGregor. They have a special a section on their website called Resources, and they have all these wonderful women listed. They have birthdays and accomplishments, and I really encourage you to check their uh, website out. It's very, very positive. And then you can also get lots of material about women's issues and and, histor- and the women's history. Very, very important. You know, before, <laughs> before Molly McGregor and her team came about, we knew very little about women's history, so it's really an honor to be able to uh, give her a little plug right now. Actually, my claim to fame is that <laughs> Molly and McGregor and I went to Sonoma State together. Amazing. I can't believe it's been over 50 years ago. I'm, oh, actually, no, 2023 is, it, this is 2023, and I, I moved up here in 1973. So in August, I'm actually celebrating 50 years that I moved to Sonoma County. Where has time gone? I mean, here I become a grandmother since then and now a great-grandmother and graduated Sonoma State and just did all kinds of amazing things. Where does time go? It's really very interesting. Well, anyway, a special happy birthday. And this woman is very impressive to me. She was born May 23rd, 1810, and made her transition in 1850. So she only had about 40 years on her on this planet. And that was Margaret Fuller. She was a journalist, a critic, and woman's rights advocate. And the first, this is amazing, the first full-time American woman book reviewer in journalism. And she wrote an amazing book called uh, Women in the 19th Century and is considered the first, the very first feminist work in the United States. Well, happy birthday to Margaret Fuller making her transition in 1850. And it's amazing when you think here, this woman wrote this book, Women in the 19th Century, and she was the first, it's the first major feminist work. I mean, 1810, when she was born and when she passed away, you know, women didn't even have the vote. They weren't even acknowledged. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. We've come a long way, ladies, but, you know, we have a long way to go, and so much is on the line now. When you when you begin to recognize what the contributions that these women have made, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. Another woman that I think is very, very interesting, and she was born May 25th, 1889, and she uh, made her transition in 1975, and that's Lily Mae Carol Jackson, pioneer, civil rights activist, organizer of the Baltimore branch of the NAACP. She pioneered the tactic of nonviolent resistance. And I think it's very interesting. She was part of the NAACP. She was in Baltimore, one of the organizers. Organizers, and that's exactly what Ida B. Wells actually started the national, the NAACP, which is an amazing feat at that time. 
Well, another great woman I think is amazing. She was born May 25th, also in 1905, made her transition in 1995. And it's amazing, these women, they were born before we even got the vote. Dorothy Wesley, she was a librarian and historian, and she was one of the first one of the first African-American women to earn a master's degree in library science at Howard University in 1932. As curator of the Moorland Spring End Collection at Howard University, she helped to become a world-renowned resource on the history and culture of African-American uh, African American women. And when you think about her writing and writing books and doing what she was doing at that time, uh, segregation was at its highest. You know, that was the time when they had you know special drinking fountains for everybody you know the blacks here and the whites there and then they had also uh, uh, restaurants and all the different things and here these women came forward and it was amazing the contributions that they made and what they had to overcome they had to overcome a lot more than we have to overcome at this point in 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 life in in our culture in our country however at the same time right now women are facing many many challenges and it's really time to stand up and let your voices be heard you know it's, it's kind of interesting when when i think about ida b wells i'm looking at her book it says voice of truth ida b wells voice of truth you know, what is the voice of truth? You know, I think the voice of truth is to just look at, at the diversity in this world and that what we have to do to come together to live in peace and to stop warring. We're warring on so many and so many levels. I mean, I can't believe what I just heard on Democracy Now! when she said in, in, uh, in Florida that they have to instruct uh, African Americans on travel to be very careful because there's certain regulations that come up that may hurt them. I mean, it's just, it's just stunning to me. Well, the last person I have was also born on May 25th, only in 1910, and she made her transition in 1997, and that's Mary Kiesling. She was an econ economist. She was director of the Women's Bureau of the Labor Department from 1964 to 1969. She was the executive director of the National Consumers League in 1938 and personal advisor to Eleanor Roosevelt in the Office of Civilian Defense. So happy birthday to Mary Kersley, my goodness, these women, they have just done some amazing things. Sometimes I, I sit back and I think to myself, how did they do it? I mean, some most of them were born before they even had the vote, and some of them, when they made some of the accomplishments that they have made, we only had the vote for maybe a year or two. So it's just it's just amazing how far women have come. And my my fingers are crossed that uh that we vote in some pretty good legislators when it comes 2024 so we can overcome some of these restrictions that are being put on women. I'm going to have to take a slig of water, boy. I'll tell you, my throat gets really dry. Talk, talk, talk. <laughs> well, I want to get into the interview as quickly as I possi uh, possibly can. So the song, I'm, we're going to take a little musical break here, Ken, and the song that I'm going to be playing is... Standing on the Shoulders, sung by Earth Mama. And, you know, this is a very, very interesting song. This song has won more awards than you can imagine. 
And for the bicentennial for our 100-year anniversary for Women Got the Vote, this was one of the major songs that was, it was utilized, and it's sung by uh, Earth Mama. Just amazing. Well, when we return, I will be talking with Michelle Duster. She's an author, public historian, professor, and champion of racial and gender equity, and she is also the great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells Barnett. And like I said, I have a book in front of me. It says Ida B. Wells, Voice of Truth. And there's another one, another uh, very interesting book. I don't know if I hope folks remember I interviewed uh, Catherine, Dr. Catherine Meeks. And uh, that's how I found Michelle because she wrote a uh, she wrote a little preface in the book, Passionate for Justice. Ida B. Wells was definitely passionate for justice and took many many risks and was an amazing amazing woman and i look forward to it so let's go ahead let's play standing on the shoulder sung by earth mama and let's get uh, michelle duster on the phone ken i am standing on the shoulders of the ones who came before me I am stronger for their courage. I am wiser for their words. I am lifted by their longing for a fair and brighter future. I am grateful for their vision, for their toiling on this earth. Standing on the shoulders of the ones who came before us They are saints and they are humans They are angels, they are friends We can see beyond the struggles And the troubles and the challenge When we know that by our efforts Things will be better in the end
courage the ones who follow me amazing and we are standing on the shoulders of many many great women and we're going to be able to talk about one of them this morning that's for sure for you just joining i want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station its board of directors its members and women's spaces well Welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I am going to introduce my guest joining me on the phone from Chicago, Illinois, Michelle Duster. Michelle, welcome to Women's Spaces. Oh, hi, Elaine. Thanks for having me. Well, I am just so honored. I mean, I just cannot believe that actually we're finally on the phone having this conversation. And before we begin, is it okay if I tell folks just a little bit about you? Sure, absolutely. And I have to confess, this is the short bio. I mean, I cannot believe all the wonderful awards you won, Michelle. I want to congratulate you. Just You've done some amazing work, and some. I'm really, really impressed. Well, Michelle Duster is an author, a public historian, a professor, and champion of racial and gender equity who has worked for over 30 years in various mediums to highlight positive contributions of women and African Americans to the United States. She has written, edited, and contributed to numerous articles and over 20 books, plus worked on monuments monuments, markers, murals, statues, and documentary films and film festivals, all to tell stories that have frequently been omitted, skewed, or miss or miss are marginalized. She is determined to help current and future generation be exposed to, inspired by more inclusive and truthful representation. Her most recent books about her great-grandmother, Ida B. Wells, are the picture book, Ida B. Wells, Voice of Truth, and the adult book, Ida B. the Queen. She also co-edited the anthologies Impact, Personal Portraits of Activism, and Michelle Obama's Impact on African American Women and Girls. Oh, my goodness, Michelle. I, I, do you have anything to add to this that you'd like to add? Oh, no, that that's pretty much sums it up. There's some projects that I'm currently working on that are pretty exciting. <laughs> um, one is a, a national monument um, for suffragists in Washington, D.C. So that's pretty exciting to me. To uh, It'll be the first uh, monument on the mall um, in Washington, D.C. that depicts uh, and celebrates real women. Oh, that is amazing. Well, you know, also in growing up, you know, this is amazing. When I first, I, I read the, uh, I was able to uh, interview uh, Dr. Catherine Meeks, and she wrote the book, Passionate for Justice. And that's when I first discovered you, because you wrote a little blurb about your great-grandmother. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, to bring Ida B. Wells and her story to the forefront, plus all the things that you were doing to me, was just one of the most exciting things that I could think about. So one of the things I'm curious about in growing up and knowing about that your grandmother was the late Ida B. Wells Barnett, how did that influence your life as well as the family life? I mean, what was it like? I'm sure everybody knew that they had that legacy behind them. Right. Well, for me, um, I mean, I don't know anything different. So uh, it was just normal to have um, a historical figure as an ancestor. Um, I felt like I had a normal childhood. It wasn't that different than my friends. Um, the only big difference was that 
Um, every once in a while, I, you know, uh, attended different events where my great grandmother was honored in some kind of a way. And so I grew up uh, going to, um, you know, to, to different kinds of uh, public events where she was honored. Um, but my grandmother was her youngest child and uh, youngest daughter, and I knew my grandmother very well. And she uh, was very purposeful about um, making sure that that I and my other uh, and my fourteen other uh, grandchildren of hers uh, were very clear about who we were as individual people and not um, caught up in in identifying ourselves and. Uh, and, and sort of being caught up in who we were related to versus who we were as individual people. She really wanted us to have our own identity. Well, in, in, in all that, with your, what was your grandmother's name? I'm just curious. Alfreda Duster. Well, just in, in being influenced by your grandmother, what, was, what were some of the things that she tried to let you know about your great-grandmother? I mean, how did she present it, and how did that inspire you, or how did that kind of motivate you to do some of the things that you've done? Well, my grandmother, Alfreda Duster, um, did talk about her mother, but maybe not as much as people think. Um, I mean, she really, to me, was a grandmother. She really was focused on what we were doing more so than what her mother did. Um, but she, you know, definitely informed us that her mother was a journalist um, that fought for freedom, justice, and equality, that she used journalism as a form of activism. Um, and in order to expose the realities when it came to lynching. Um, but she didn't go into a lot of detail as far as the level of violence that uh, was common during my great-grandmother's time and the kind of violence that my great-grandmother faced. Um, I didn't learn that level of detail until I was an adult, um, specifically when I was working on the film, uh, the uh, documentary film about my great-grandmother uh, called Ida B. Wells, The Passion for Justice by William Greaves. I worked on that film, and I did um, mostly photo research, and I did some post-production work. And that's where I learned the extent of the brutality and the violence um, that was reality when it came to lynching. Well, you know, one of the things that's happened to me in, in, in fi I found Ida B. Wells just by accident, you know, was all of a sudden about 15 years ago when all of a sudden I started reading about her. And I start reading about some of the issues that, and some of the risks that she took trying to go into the Deep South and doing the reporting that she did on lynching and the dangers that she faced. I mean, it was just amazing. Well, you know, one of the beliefs, and you know, you're, you yourself, you know, there's so many things to, to even integrate here with what you're doing and the work that you are doing, but one of the beliefs that, that Wells believed in, and I quote from, from your book, Ida B. Wells, Voice of Truth, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. You know, what, what wrongs do you think she was, she was focusing on, particularly for women of color, and how do you feel that they need their light shined on today? I mean, I know that's very important to you, that you bring, you're bringing her forward, not just as a historian, but as, also as somebody to inspire and educate other women. Right, well, um, she, my great-grandmother Ida B. Wells, was in that quote, specifically referring to lynching. Um, and 
she felt very strongly that lynching was something that was completely unacceptable in what she called, quote, civilized society. Um, she used facts um, of what was happening regarding lynching um, to hold up a mirror to this country that considered itself to be Christian nation and, um, you know, sort of a leader when it came to democracy um, and rights, human rights um, in the country, in the world. But then it's like, okay, well, this is what the kind of country that you are. Why is this happening in this country? And so she felt that there needed to be um, a light shined on the actual truth of what was happening in the country in order to affect change. I do want to also mention, um, kind of going back with my gra my grandmother, Alfreda Duster, um, I believe that most of what's happening today when it comes to people knowing about my great-grandmother um, started with my grandmother's work. She edited and published and got her uh, mother's autobiography published, Ida B. Wells' Crusade for Justice. And almost everything that has happened since then and since 1970 has used my, my grandmother's book, which was her uh, mother's writing, um, as the as the uh, stepping stone for all of the work that has happened. I mean, the, the film that uh, William Greaves did in 1989 was based on, on that book. Oh, amazing. So your grandmother was, was also a writer. Well, she edited, it was her mother's book. Her mother, Ida B. Wells, wrote the book. Oh, okay. but, but my grandmother found the manuscript. It was, it was not published. Uh, my my great-grandmother passed away before she was able to finish the book. And so my grandmother found the manuscript, and she combed through it, edited it, fact-checked everything, and then she was able to get it published. And it took her a very long time to get that done because uh, her mother died in 1931, but the book wasn't published until 1970. And what, what was the name of that book? Ida B. Wells' Crusade for Justice. Well, that's amazing. So, so that was a, must have been an influence on you also. Well, I mean, the, you know, the, the book, um, since it was Ida who wrote her own story, I mean, it has served as a launching pad for almost all the projects that I'm aware of that have come after 1970 because... Um, you know, if you read through her book, um, Ida's book, it was her autobiography there. You know, she meant she mentions a lot of things, obviously, that happened in her life, but some things she kind of skims over a little bit. And so I've seen a lot of people write books from, you know, that that sort of fill in some of those holes um, and, you know, just sort of expand on some of the things. And I mean, you, you wonder when somebody's writing their own story. To them, something might not seem like a big deal, but when you read it 50 years later, you're like, whoa, this is really a big deal, so right. you, know, you want to delve more into it. Well, you know, your, your emphasis is that, that uh, your great-grandmother was an educator, a feminist, an anti-liberal civil rights leader. How do you believe, how do you believe that in, in bringing her forward and carrying on her, her, her legacy, how is that supporting other women, especially women of color? And how do you feel that that is, what emphasis is that still on today? I mean, how do you see that still happening in today's world? What I've tried to do with the various mediums that I have worked in um, to bring forward my great-grandmother's story um, is not is not for me focused only on her as one person. It's to me it's focused on 
the African-American story and the African-American experience that since my great-grandmother died in 1931, her life story is considered history today. And as somebody who grew up several decades after she passed away, I have the experience of learning about history in the school systems and I grew up knowing about her life story and the work that she did, but I also noticed that so many other people had never heard of her before because it wasn't in the history books. And so my purpose with the different projects that I'm working on is to help other people learn uh, about this history the same way or as much as I can, you know, bring it uh, available to the public because to me it's a very big disservice to us as a country for only, you know, certain information to know because your family tells you about it. It should be considered American history that all Americans learn. And that's what I'm trying to do is to bring this history out of uh, private spaces into public sphere. How, how do you think how do you think that would in, is going is impacting what you're doing is impacting what's happening today? I think what is happening today is impacting what I'm doing. Um, I see the pushback. I see the excuses being used for um, marginalizing and or erasing um, this history or sugarcoating things to make it so it didn't seem that bad when I grew up knowing that it was that bad. Um, And so I don't think that as a country um, we can heal if we don't tell our truth and we don't have honest conversations about what really what the actual history is and the level of damage that um, a lot of people grow up hearing about, it does impact us today. What happened 150 years ago does impact us today. And we as a country need to face this reality and, and um, conquer and, um, and, and heal as a country. It will never be healed if we don't talk about it. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up, Michelle, because my feeling is, is that most people are afraid to look at the look at the past. You know, for some, I mean, we're looking at some of the, the laws that are coming in, especially with some of the book banning and some of the things that are going on. It seems that there's a fear to look at the past. And, and one of the logics about this fear is, oh, my goodness, it's going to make people like white people feel inferior or children feel less than. H- how do you feel about that idea? I mean, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I mean, I mean, history is so important. It shows us what we did right. It shows us what we did wrong. It shows us how we can improve. But what do you think is the basic fear that people are afraid to look at the past in that way? I, I find it interesting that um, what the the rationale that's being used to ban certain books and certain topics, um, certain experiences, even when it comes to artwork and movies, films. I mean, it, it's not just books. It's, it seems like there's just this all-out assault on anything, any medium um, that some people want to say that they're uncomfortable seeing or hearing about. But I find it interesting that their needs and feelings are prioritized over other people's feelings and needs who do need to hear this history and do need to talk about it. So to me, this is a matter of um, whose concerns are being prioritized and whose voices are being listened to and who is being silenced and marginalized. Um, And so, 
you know, it, it's, I guess it's a, sen a sense of a power structure, which sort of falls into the same um, dynamics and, and um, characteristics that even my great grandmother was dealing with. So the fact that in 2023, um, there are certain people's needs and concerns that are prioritized over other people's needs and concerns and actually damaging to other people um, sort of fits the narrative of the United States. It, it is perplexing, isn't it? It really is. When you start thinking about it and start talking, you just wonder, how does this happen? You know, we're just part of the human family, and yet there's so much There's so much that goes on that keeps us separate. Well, Michelle, I'd like to know if it's okay with you. I, I really hope that you have time to, con you know, keep continuing this conversation, but I'd like to take a little musical break. Is that okay with you? Sure, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to play this, and I want to I want to dedicate this to your grandmother, your great grandmother Ida B. Wells. It's called "Blood of the Ancients," and it's sung by Betsy Rose and the Women's Choir. And I think it's very important to recognize that we are standing on the shoulders of some great women. I mean, really, that have 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 made the way for us to move forward and we need to recognize that so we're going to go ahead and we're going to play blood of the ancients sung by betsy rose and when we return i will continue my conversation with michelle duster who is an author a public historian professor and champion of racial and gender equity and she is also the great granddaughter of ida b wells barnett so let's go ahead ken let's play that song The future is in our hands. Boy, it is so true. What we do today makes a big difference for tomorrow. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm continuing my conversation with Medell Michelle Duster, who is an author, a public historian, a professor, and champion of racial gender equity, and she's also the great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells Barnett. Michelle, welcome back again to Women's Spaces. 
Well, <laughs> thanks for having me, Elaine. I hope you like that song. I mean, I just that song just gives me the chills when I think about it. And I think about my own grandmother, you know, who came from Poland, uh, excuse me, from Russia, you know, on the boats, you know, to come to the United States for freedom and, and equality. And all of a sudden, here I am in this generation when I, I was about in my 30s, all of a sudden when I went back to school finding out all... The, the disparity that's happened in this country. It's just it's just amazing. Well, you know, you you are you are very, very versatile. You know, you you've done you know, you've done many, many use many different mediums. You work on films, children's books and all that, all that all those wonderful things that you've brought forward. And I'm wondering what was your what is your goal and and how have you found what you found information about your grandmother and about as you go through the history, what what do you think this what is is how is this will be helpful to other women of color, particularly African American women? And what are their challenges? Some of the challenges still the same. Well, my goal has been to uh, take this information and history out of the margins um, of our um, collective knowledge um, and put it front and center uh, as much as I possibly can, because in my opinion, um, African-American experience and perspective is American history. Um, it's, it's all of our history. It's not, you know, this segmented sort of siloed history. Um, and so I think it's very important for all of us um, as Americans and even internationally, for people who visit this, this country from other places, to know and see and celebrate and be inspired by people of color, African-Americans, women who have contributed to what this country is. Um, and so I have made a decision to work in different mediums because I think people learn in different ways. And um, I think that one thing can sort of launch uh, somebody's curiosity into a lot uh, different um, Medium. So, for instance, uh, I worked on a monument, um, the Light of Truth, the Ida B. Wells National Monument, which is in Chicago at 37th and Langley, on the land where the Ida B. Wells homes once stood. Um, and there are two plaques. Well, there are three plaques in the in the monument, but one of them has her uh, very short bio of her, and the other two have quotes of hers. And so my thought is, okay, if, if somebody visits the monument and they never heard of Ida B. Wells before, maybe they'll decide they'll read a book about her. And then if they wanted to see a movie about her, then they can look at the book, uh, a movie. Um, and so one, one medium can lead to another and vice versa. If somebody sees the movie and then they want to go see the monument or if they want to see the mural, um, that's at 33 East um, Ida B. Wells Drive, uh, the mural with 10 different suffragists on it, Ida B. in one of them, then they can learn about all these other women, um, the other suffragists and the suffrage movement that took place in this country, the Chicago area suffrage leaders. Um, so to me, they all complement each other, the different mediums. And I want to um, help people from other, different generations learn about her at different ages. So I worked with Mattel on the Ida B. Wells doll. And so if a little child gets the doll, then they can read the children's book about her and then maybe visit the monument. So that's how I look at it, that they all sort of complement each other. Well, you know, it's very interesting because I'm sitting here looking at this is the, this is a child's book that I, I ordered for myself. And I figured to 
to share with my grandchildren is Ida B. Wells' Voice for, Tru Voice for Truth, which is really amazing. There's her picture, a kind of like a drawing and with, the, with her the, with the typewriter. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we have the computers. And I mean, um, imagine the challenge, just, just the typing. To, to get the information out. Well, you know, you, you mentioned about having some quotes by this monument, two quotes. Can you, maybe one you can share? Um, yes, we have the quote, um, one had better die, better die fighting against injustice than to die like a rat or, wait, than, than to die like a dog or a rat in a trap. Wow. Um, and that is a very well-known quote of hers, and it's one that I actually grew up hearing, um, you know, with the idea that you need to fight. You need to fight for your rights. You need to speak up uh, for your rights and, and not be intimidated by anybody. Um, and so that we felt, I mean, I worked on a committee, uh, and we felt that that really captured her, her spirit. Um, and then... Uh, we have the other, one of the other quotes is, um, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them, which also embodied her uh, attitude about, basically, I, I, I think her attitude was the truth will set us free, <laughs> um, that if people only knew the truth, then, you know, you can affect change, because there was a lot of misinformation during her time. Um, people talk about uh, you know, fake news or whatever today, but it's not like it's a new thing. There was a lot of that during her time. And so that was what she was combating was this false narrative um, that was being used to justify this incredible level of violence against predominantly black men um, when it came to lynching with, uh, with the, using the excuse that it was protecting white women when in reality it was really used as a form of domestic terrorism against the entire black community. Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about that because I think about my own immigrant experience, how people come up to this country, they have no idea the history. You know, you're coming for freedom, and then all of a sudden you find out that there was a body of people that were oppressed, you know, and it, and for how many years? I mean, for over 400 years. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story. And then you think about women like Ida B. Wells coming forward and some of the risks that she took and some of the challenges she faced. Well, when you look at today's black woman, do you see any similar challenges that, that maybe that, that you can identify that she, she was overcoming as well as they're still, it's still happening today? Well, yes, I think in general, um, we still live in a patriarchal society. Um, and so women uh, have different, there are different sort of metrics that are used in order to measure women um, when it comes to uh, op opportunities in the workforce, when it comes to expectations, um, when it's regarding family um, dynamics. Um, you know, there, I think we still have remnants of people assuming that, you know, child care falls predominantly on women. Uh, house, uh, uh, you know, cooking, cleaning, all of those uh, sort of uh, domestic sort of um, expectations, I think, still disproportionately fall on women the way that they did during her time. Um, there are still certain environments, work environments, where women... Um, are not accepted as equals. Um, some people have a problem reporting to a woman um, in their job situation 
And then, I mean, just statistically, it's factual that there are certain professions, and even if you look at a lot of corporate boards or a lot of uh, corporate leadership, I mean, the, the, the representation of women is way far less than 51 percent, which is the, which is our um, population. So we still have a long way to go in our country before there is gender equity. You know, it's so interesting when you think about it, isn't it, that we're the majority instead of minority, and yet, and yet we still have to struggle to to have our voices here heard. And you know, what? what's really interesting about today's interview was uh, that they, I do a segment, I don't know if you if you were listening on the, uh, on the streaming, but I do a segment on uh, our history is our strength. And one of the things that came up, it was a, a, a celebrating the birthday of, I want to see uh, the birthday of, where is that? A uh, um, woman by the name of Lily May Carroll Jackson. She was a pioneer civil rights activist, organizer of the of the Baltimore branch of the NAACP. And I thought that was interesting. And then I also heard prior to us coming on the air, I was listening to Democracy Now! And she was talking about the NAACP is uh, sending out some sort of warnings in Florida to how black people can travel through Florida because some of the, some of the rules or regulations, I guess, that they're making so I, I thought maybe we talked just a little bit about the NAACP. I mean, what was the do you, do you know anything in the motivation behind starting it, and how do you feel it is, is impacting in today's world? How important is it? Well, my great grandmother Ida B. Wells was one of the founders of the NAACP in 1909, which was formed as a uh, response to uh, a race riot that took place in Springfield, Illinois, in 1908. Um, and so there was this coalition, a uh, multiracial coalition of people that came um, together from around the country who uh, met in New York City to sort of discuss what was going on when it came to race relations, um, which because it was considered shocking that there was this situation that happened in Springfield, which was the very much associated with uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was credited with, um, you know, freeing enslaved people. So it's like, how does this happen in Springfield? So um, it was formed in 1909 as a way to address um, racial inequality, and uh, my great grandmother was involved for a short time. Um, I don't know exactly when she kind of distanced herself a little bit from it, or I would just say like became less involved um, with the organization. But what she expressed in her autobiography was a little frustration with at that time. She felt that the NAACP. Um, well, she had several issues. One was um, she felt that the organization at that time was more focused on studying the problem um, than actually sort of rolling their sleeves up and getting in the trenches and it's sort of more uh, groundwork. Um, and, and then she, the, the organization at that time was even though it was multiracial, it was still sort of dominated by uh, people who were not affected directly by, by the terrorism that was happening at that time. And so um, she just, she just kind of distanced herself from it. But um, since then, I mean, obviously the organization has grown to become national with chapters all over the country. 
and they are addressing um, still to this day, you know, uh, inequalities and issues that um, disproportionately affect communities of color. And it's, it's sad, but it's just a reality that, you know, they're still very much needed. Well, the sad part is, is that we just can't seem to get it together, that we're just all part of the human race, and let's start living together. I mean, look at what's going on in the earth, just the wars and, and, and the climate change and all the other things that are happening. you think that we would be focusing on that instead of some of the things that we focus on. Well, you know, Michelle, one of the things that, that is amazing about you is I've noticed how many how many books you've written, like you've been involved in the all these different uh uh, you know, acknowledgments through different, uh, like you said, you have the suffrage uh, the display in Chicago. What, what is, you know, what is it that you hope, what, what is the message that you're trying to really put forward? What, what, what do you want people to, to really gleam on and to start doing in, in relation to the work that you're doing? My goal is to take um, the information, the contributions, the perspectives, and the experiences um, of African Americans and women, so African American women specifically, out of the margins of our national consciousness um, and not have it as an asterisk and a footnote to our country's history, but to bring it full, you know, front and center, right in the middle of everything, because that is where we belong um, with everybody else. I mean, here in Chicago, I was involved in having a major street uh, renamed um, from Congress Parkway to I.W. Wells Drive. It's right in the center of the city. It's a massive um, uh, uh, street that feeds into two different interstates. And, you know, some people want to make comments about, well, why, you know, why do you want to have such a big street or, um, you know, whatever kind of comments they want to make, because there's this, still this lingering attitude that we as African-American people don't deserve to be in the uh, in in the forefront um, or equally recognized along with all of these other people. Um, that street that I mentioned, um, I.D.B. Wallace Drive, is the first and only um, street in downtown Chicago named after an African-American woman or any woman. Um, and so nobody has a problem with all the streets being named after predominantly white men, but then one street is named after a woman, and some people want to have a problem with that. So to me, that says something, that even if we have one, um, then that's too much for some people. And I want to create a world or be part, be uh, involved in creating a world where the next generation that are being born right now grow up thinking it is absolutely normal for all people to be equally represented in every way. I don't know if I'll live long enough to see that happen, but I just think that um, kids that are, you know, one, two, three years old right now should grow up reading about, hearing about, being inspired by everybody who contributed to this country. Well, I'll tell you, Michelle, that's a beautiful goal, and I'm with you 1,000%. 
you know, especially when you have, you know, when you're looking at generations and you're looking at what's happening, you say, wait a minute, come on, you know, I, at the end of my show, I always remind people, our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that, and what they learn today is how they're going to live, if they live in violence or hatred, then that's what we're going to have, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing, and I really appreciate you saying that, because it just gives, it just makes my, my heart, I, my heart goes out, it just feels, it just feels really good, well, Unfortunately, we are, we are coming to the end of our segment here, and I know that you've written many, many books and many, many documents and documentaries, and I thought maybe you would just tell us, what, what is your favorite, say, two books that you really feel people should read, and then also give us your website and any last words, anything, any message that you would like to give our, our listening audience? Well, my website is mldwrites.com. Um, it's kind of hard for me to choose a favorite book. Uh, I have um, written several, um, I think eight books, and then I've contributed to another 12. Um, contributed meaning I've written like a chapter or a segment of the books. Um, all of them serve different purposes. Um, and so I would just invite people to, to uh, look at my website and see which one they might find their favorite. Um, I had to be the queen. Um, came out in 2021 and it 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 tells the story of my great grandmother but it puts her into historical context um and and really uh, includes her legacy which um i i compare her some p contemporary people to sort of continuing on with the work that she was doing to sort of help people understand that the work that she did is still very relevant today and people are continuing on with her work um, and then I've written a couple of children's books. I've written for different uh, age groups so that people can access the information no matter what uh, reading level they are or, or what um, age group they are. So I'm proud of all of my work. <laughs> Well, it's amazing. I'll tell you, the children's book that I got was, I just love. I just think it's so well written and really, really, really uh, says, you know, really gives a good, good picture. Okay, any last words, anything, anything you'd like to share, anything special you'd like to tell our, our, our audience before we say goodbye? Um, well, I always just try to encourage, especially students, um, to recognize that they do have a voice, that they have um, rights to speak up. And some people, uh, you know, are like, well, what can I do to help? Like, I don't think you have to decide to change the whole world. You can just change one corner of the world. Um, so whatever sphere of influence that you might have, um, to speak up, I encourage people to do that. You know, if it's writing, writing their elected officials, if it's talking to the principal of a school, whatever, um, you know, area that you feel like you can, that you feel comfortable in, just speak up and, and we all collectively can work together to make our country fair and equitable for everybody. Well, Michelle Duster, I couldn't have said it any better. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Spaces. And anything that I can do to help support your work or anything that you need, please do not hesitate to let me know. Thank you so much, Elaine. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's just been amazing. Well, folks, that's it for our show. A special thank you to Medell, Michelle Duster, who is an author, a public historian, professor, and champion of racial and gender equity. And she's also the great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells Barnett. And interviewing uh, Michelle was an absolute 
honor. You know, there's a song that I play. I don't think we have time to play it, but it's called By My Silence, I Give My Consent. You know, we covered a lot of ground, you know, this morning. I really believe that having this interview really opened up a lot of things, a lot of thoughts for us, especially around diversity, around recognizing as women that we are women. You know, we come together and we have to recognize that. Ida B. Wells, to me, was Barnett was a hero. Not only was she was a hero, but she was also a mother. You know, she also understood understood the importance of activism and action and speaking out. And I really want to encourage all my listeners, you know, that's why we do the Women's Spaces Pledge, not to be afraid to speak out. You know, your self-esteem doesn't depend on anything outside of you. It depends on your relationship with yourself, you know, and the ability to be able to stand up, to be able to stand tall and say, this is not right, or this is okay. You know, even, even praising is very, very important. And not to be afraid of history. Our history is our strength. Our history tells us what we did right. Our history tells us what we did wrong. Our history lets us know what we need to improve. Our history lets us know what we need to keep in place. It's so, so important. You know, it's, it's interesting. Our mystery, our history is definitely our strength. Well, a reminder, I want you to tell your friends that Women's Spaces will be aired again at 11 p.m. this evening. I'm excited. I get to listen to it. And what an honor it was. What an honor it was to uh, interview Michelle Duster. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. And remember, our children are the future. We must never lose sight of that. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 22nd, 2023.